The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. Boy, it's great to have you all here. We're in this, this new study on the book of Isaiah, and it is the most incredible book. By the way, as uh, Jacob read, read the section, just gave a summary of it in poetic form, the entire book of Isaiah is in poetry. Actually, all the major prophets and the minor prophets were written in Hebrew poetry. So uh, just with that as a little bit of background, it is uh, beautiful. There are rolling cadences. There's uh, spectacular imagery throughout the book of Isaiah. Um, The book of Isaiah has been called the fifth gospel. Uh, The book of Isaiah has been called the gospel according to Isaiah. It's been referred to as the Grand Canyon of the Old Testament. And and they say that because the Grand Canyon is sort of a geological picture of the history of the the earth. Likewise, uh, the book of Isaiah is a picture, a small picture of the book of the entire Bible. Uh, The entire Bible has 66 books, the Old Testament 39 books, the New Testament 27. So Isaiah almost parallels the entire portrait of the Bible. So if you go to the beginning of the New Testament, which would be Isaiah chapter 40, the beginning of the New Testament starts exactly where Isaiah 40 starts with John the Baptist. And there's the prophecy of John the Baptist, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. What I want to do is give you, since we're sort of jumping in, you you sort of need to find out where we are in history. I think it will help you so, so much to understand what Isaiah was dealing with, the the depth of the issues and the problems and the feelings of hopelessness and despair and trouble that the the folks were feeling. So let me pop up this first slide. You will see the United Kingdom. Everybody's heard of David. Jesus will ultimately be sitting on the throne of the Davidic king. So there's David, and David has a son, Solomon. David had a whole heart toward God, and he leaves a a United Kingdom. Solomon ends up with a half a heart toward God, and the kingdom divides. His two sons, Jeroboam to the north, Rehoboam to the south. So now you have Israel divided to a northern kingdom, every single one is bad. Every king is bad. There's a southern kingdom. So Israel, Judah, or Ephraim, and uh, Israel, or uh, the southern kingdom, they would call it the southern kingdom or the kingdom of Judah. Okay, two tribes down here. Now look right above it, because I want to show you who we're going to be talking about today. Above this, there are kings of Damascus. So look right here now. So here you have Israel. Right above Israel, off to the east a little bit, is Syria, the kings of Damascus. And not a massive country. Matter of fact, what we're talking about today, you turn on the television, you're going to hear these same words, the exact same places, same struggles that are happening today were happening back here. So you have, the, you have Syria, the kings of Damascus. You have the kings of Assyria, which would be, say, over, over Syria, Syria, Damascus. And it's not that far. It'd be as far from Iowa City to Dubuque. So not a, space-wise, geographically, we're talking about a small section of the world. 
time-wise, we're going to be spanning centuries. And I'll, I'll hopefully be able to show you that as well. So there's Israel, Syria, Assyria. You've, you've heard of, anybody here, hear of the country Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia? Anybody hear of those? Okay. Syria, Assyria. And then Babylon will take over that whole area. And then right above that will be the Median Persian Empire. So in a, nut, in a nutshell, that's what we're looking at. So let's go to the next, next slide. And this is a continuation. About 100 years from here to here, here is Isaiah right here. You see that the northern kingdom stops all of a sudden. The northern kingdom goes into captivity. They are swept into captivity by Sargon. I'm going to show you some pictures of Sargon. We have reliefs. You'll see him in a, in a few minutes. Northern kingdom goes into captivity. The southern kingdom continues. So today, we're looking at a king of, of Syria, Rezin, just like we're in the news today. We're talking about Syria. Here's one of the kings right there, Rezin. We're going to be talking about Sargon, Shalmaneser. We're talking about this King Pekah. We're going to be talking about Ahaz. We're going to mention Uzziah. When did Isaiah's ministry start? Remember, Doug covered it last year in the day that King Uzziah died. So here he died, and you can see, oh, that starts Isaiah's ministry, about a 50-year ministry. And it's going to go through Hezekiah, and then he'll be carried off into Babylon, and then uh, eventually sawn asunder by this king, the most wicked of the kings of the south, Manasseh. So that's sort of, sort of where we are, but it was a, a desperate, horrible time in history. It was a day of political intrigue. They were, countries were making alliances with one another. You had Assyria beginning to take over from the entire fertile crescent from Ur and, and, and Babylon and Nineveh, and they were, they were taking over everything. People are scared to death. I mean, we get scared. We get scared to death when things like in San Bernardino take place or Paris. And these are teeny weeny little things, little skirmishes, and, and we're talking entire countries and nations uh, being overrun and uh, dismembered and, and uh, dealt with in a very horrible, horrible way. So I, God sends Isaiah to speak to the people. Basically, God says, Isaiah, you, you've got to get people to turn to me. They're, they're looking everywhere else, but they're not looking to me. And I want them to have hope. You're going to be the messenger who will bring them this message. Let's just call it the gospel message, which will give people comfort. We hear that word over and over, comfort and hope. So that's basically what Isaiah is doing. Uh, Peter says of the Old Testament prophets that they didn't speak from their own interpretation. No prophecy is produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we get a, a picture that somehow the Holy Spirit was superintending Isaiah. And Isaiah really was saying things that didn't have the full impact, like when we look backwards in time. We, as believers, we go, oh, you sing about Emmanuel? Oh, talking about Jesus. A little town of Bethlehem, Savior born? Oh, it's talking about Jesus. They didn't have that privilege to look backwards in time. So what we also find out from Peter 
is that these prophets had to search and carefully inquire what was going on. They had to look at their own writings to try and figure out what was going on. So it wasn't clear. One other thing that's important. The names throughout the Old Testament are very, very important. The names to Jesus were very important. That's why Jesus would rename people. Paul, from Saul to Paul. Um, here's, here's one name that's very important. Isaiah means, the name Isaiah means... Yahweh is salvation or the salvation of Jehovah. Basically, his name is the same as the same root as Joshua, the same root as Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. So they're all tied together in terms of names. So what is setting this man searching is that everything in the country is falling apart. Just I mean, it's almost hard for us to imagine it living in the United States because we have got it so good. We get little bitty things that happen, and our our stock market, you know, takes a hit. People start, you know, falling apart at the seams. And they were going through a time when their whole country was being dismembered. Um, Sargon, remember that guy from Assyria attacking Syria. Remember that guy, Sargon? We have reliefs from Sargon. Here are a few pictures. Uh, here are some of the reliefs taken from Assyria, from Nineveh. And uh, here are the Assyrian soldiers attacking. Another slide. Let's just keep them moving. Here they're on the attack, knocking down walls. Another slide uh, would show Assyrian soldiers. Another slide. And, and I didn't put all of these. They would flay the people. They would take the skin off of the people that they would capture. They would dismember them. They would put them on poles. It was just brutal. Here are Hebrew captives. This is in the Assyrian reliefs, Hebrew captives. Uh, again, taking them to uh, the, the capital. And then the next one is Sargon. I got that from his Facebook page. That's Sargon II. Uh, that was the guy who did all this damage. But it was just a feeling of helplessness. There was a feeling of incredible need. And so that's the book of Isaiah, is to underscore our desperate plight, our need for someone to come into our lives to help us, to give us comfort. That's the story of Isaiah. So our need, and it really manifests itself very well in Isaiah 40, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. And when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So Isaiah is communicating to the people, we all have such need. Our lives are so vulnerable. They're so temporary. Uh, the span of our life is so short. And so Isaiah is helping to communicate the impotence of mankind, the helplessness of mankind. But woven beautifully throughout this entire book is this incredible revelation of God's love throughout it. And, and the picture of his love, it's, it's um, like a flicker at first, but then it gets more and more brilliant as the book continues. Finally, and you... you you get to Isaiah 53, and we're actually going to cover it right before Easter, Isaiah 53. And it's like Jesus just sort of jumps off the page of Isaiah 53. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. 
and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, we esteemed him not. He was born for our griefs, carried for our sorrows. Imagine back then what they were going through as a nation to hear that somebody's going to come and carry all this, carry our griefs, carry our sorrows. He, He bore them. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was pierced. I mean, think of it. Here the Assyrians with swords, and, and, and they would draw people apart, and they would flay them. And yet here's someone who's going to get pierced for our transgressions. You know, they would roll over them with, with logs and stones and crush them. But Jesus is going to be crushed for our iniquities and the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds. And they were used to seeing their their friends and their their relatives getting getting sliced and diced and and tortured, and yet here he is going to be the sheep who who will take all this. He's going to be the one who will receive all this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth like a lamb. He was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that was before its shears is silent and he opened not his mouth. So Isaiah saw how God's love would confront the helplessness, the hopelessness, the despair, the incredible need, the gloom uh, that people had. And so he's pointing to this one who would come, and through the book, again, things get brighter and brighter, and he even shares how there is going to be a day that there's going to be a morning without clouds. There, There is coming a day a day of total righteousness where God's glory will fill the entire earth. Now, he's, he's actually looking beyond Jesus to the second coming. See, it's like looking at mountaintops. He couldn't tell that there was time in between because it was a le- legitimate offer of the king of Jesus to the kingdom, and they rejected him, so there had to be another time before he would come again. We'll talk about that later. But he points to this time when his glory will fill the earth and man will make war no more. And then he promises, he says, they will take the very spears that they're using to kill our brothers and our sisters, they will take their spears and they will beat them into pruning hooks and their their spears will become plows. So it's, it's an incredible picture. It's designed to give, back then, designed to give them hope for us, it's designed to give us hope and comfort as, as well. Well, that's God's plan, and his method is to break through this rebellion, rebelliousness, this, this tyranny, this anger, this warlike mentality. It's to break through, and instead of using the, the power of mankind, these swords and spears and, and chariots. Instead, he is going uh, to use the power of God that will bring fulfillment to everything God has promised. So he's saying the solution then is going to be very different from what we're looking at now. So he says, we all have a need, but there's going to be someone Other than what we're seeing right now, someone is going to come and really, from the inside out, deal with our need. And that's why Isaiah starts in Isaiah 1, 
identifying with every single one of us. Again, it's, it is the fifth gospel. It is the gospel. He says, we all have this need. So he says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as wool. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So we see the unfolding of the greatest story that has ever been told. And throughout Isaiah, again, the picture, the lens gets sharpened. It starts out as a haze and it gets sharper and sharper and sharper as we go through the book. And you get to Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. And you can see, you know, years and years ago, there was a, a famous Christmas hymn. Uh, we, we sing it for Christmas anyway. It wasn't originally intended to, to be that. It was written in Latin, so a lot of times we see the Latin words, um, Vini, Vini, Emmanuel, with an E. We, uh, if you see the Latin form, it's with an E. In our Bibles, we typically would see it with an I. But listen to the words. Let me give you an idea quickly of the time frame we're talking about. Remember this screen from this side to this side was about, that's about a hundred years there, okay? So now, when does, Isaiah's prophesying about this one coming. There's a hundred years. If you were to multiply the screen out seven and a half times, in other words, to the very back wall, that's when Jesus would come. So you've got the southern kingdom, and then all of a sudden the southern kingdom is taken into captivity for 70 years, and then Cyrus comes and destroys the, the Assyrian Empire, uh, and then you have the return, the, the Medes and the Persians come, release the people from Babylon, uh, they begin to return, and there are 400 years of silence. So, I mean, they have to wait a long, long time you know, 750 years before Jesus comes. So the writer of what we would say is a very famous Christmas carol, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, God with us, come and ransom captive Israel. For, for hundreds of years now, Israel is held captive. Oh, come, come, God with us, Emmanuel, ransom pay the price that will ultimately release Israel that, that mourns in lonely exile. They were in exile in Babylon. They were in exile for 400 years of silence of the intertestamental period until the Son of God appear. It's the back wall, 750 years later. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. That's designed to give hope. There is going to be an answer for their problems. There is an answer for all of ours. So you've got those, you've got all those tribes. You've got the ones in the north, 10 to the north, all of them are bad. Two to the south, some are good. Here's the setting for today. Now, Here's your instruction. Your instruction is when, when you see, when you look at, at the website and it's saying we're going to cover Isaiah 7 and 9, I'm not going to read Isaiah 7 and 9. So you're going to have to do a little homework. You're going to have to read it ahead of time. I can help you understand what it's saying. I can help summarize it. 
but I, I'm not going to sit up here and read it all. So let me just tell you how it starts in Isaiah 7, in, in these first couple of verses here. Some of the kings that I, that I highlighted with, with the uh, laser pointer are mentioned here. You've got the king of Assyria. You've got the Pekai. You've got the, one of the northern kings. You've got the Assyrians who are attacking Syria. So the Syrians go to the northern king, Pekah, and they say, come on, let's, let's make an alliance together. Why don't you go down to Ahaz in the southern kingdom and try and get them to fight with us, and maybe we can ward off those Assyrians who are causing so much heartache. Sargon, that was that picture of Sargon. They refuse to do it, so they attack. Okay, so that's where we are. Now, Ahaz in the southern kingdom is so scared to death. Now, this is where we can identify, because there are a lot of things in life that scare us whether it be the economy, whether it be the sickness we're dealing with, whether it be employment, you know, whether, whether it be um, dealing with difficult teachers or neighbors, whatever the case might be. So um, here, we have, here we have all this turmoil going on, and Isaiah says, the heart of Haz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. He's Isaiah saying, look, you guys are scared to death. And um, I, don't, I don't know if God has ever messed up your plans. Have you ever felt, God, you've had plans, how you want to see things go, and they're just not materializing the way you think they should? They're not happening as quickly as you think they should or the way uh, you think they should go. And so you begin to organize, you begin to plan, you begin to meet with people, you begin to strategize, you begin to get your tactics all put together to solve this dilemma. That's exactly where Ahaz was. And things were going from bad to worse. And now the Bible says, you're beginning to shake like a tree in the wind. You know the expression? We have the expression, you're shaking like a leaf. That's where it comes from. We're shaken like a leaf. Now, what we're going to find out later, uh, Isaiah tells us, the other prophets tell us the same thing, same message like Zechariah in chapter 4, verse 6. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And they, when he said that, they were in the same predicament, just four screens down. <laughs> okay, same, same deal. So that's our need. We're in a tremendous need right now. What's our hope? What's our hope? The Lord's going to do two things through Isaiah. First of all, he's going to have a son. And the name of his son, again, names mean everything in the Old Testament, right? So he's going to have a son. And the Lord is going to tell Isaiah, you need to make sure Ahaz has his eyes on the right place. So I want you to go and stand before Ahaz. So Yahweh is salvation, is holding the hand of Sher Jesub. Sher Jesub means a remnant shall return. In other words, you are to be a visible testimony to Ahaz that I'm in charge and everything's going to be okay. Everything will end up 
okay, the Lord saves and a remnant shall return. Second thing we find in this passage that God tells Isaiah to do, now you speak to Ahaz and the very things that are causing him to shake in his boots, I want you to tell him the truth about who they are. He was shaking in his boots about the king of Assyria. He was shaking in his boots about the, the king of Syria. And he said, verse 4, they're smoldering stumps of firebrands. He says, a lot of smoke. There's no fire. Why, why should you fear men? And then he says uh, in verse 9, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You're going to shake like a leaf. So he's just warning Ahaz, saying, Ahaz, the king of Syria is just a man. The king of Assyria is just a man. And if you don't believe, you're not going to last either. That's what he's saying. So I think one of the big takeaways from this passage is men cannot solve mankind's problems or dilemmas. Men can't do it. You listen to God. You walk by faith. You get your eyes back onto what, what Doug showed us last week out of Isaiah 6. You, you keep your eyes on the Lord and how sovereign and powerful and majestic He is. You walk by faith. You have confidence in the living God. And I think the truth of the matter is, Ahaz, like you and me, too many times, we're looking in the wrong direction for our security and for our answers and for our comfort. We're, we're looking at things and people who are so transient and who are so temporary. And Isaiah is pleading to Ahaz, get your eyes, get your eyes off of them. Don't shake like a leaf. Be secure in God. So the other thing I think we can learn is, you know, get your eyes off of things that oppress you, the circumstances of life, and, and get your eyes off of people who impress you. They're not going to be the answer to your problem. You get your eyes on the Lord. I think inevitably God's going to bring us all into some sort of crisis of one or another kind of thing. I think the Lord wants to get us to the point where we go, you know what? What I'm doing isn't working. <laughs> it's sort of like Jesus had to do this with every one of the disciples, sort of get them in the boat. Hey, Jesus, can I walk on the water too? Sure, come on out. You know, and he starts to sink when he gets his eyes. Where? On the circumstances. He's saying, Peter, get out of the boat. But Peter, get out of the boat, but you'd better keep your eyes on me. You get them on the circumstances, you go right under. That was the message of Isaiah to Ahaz. See, God's grace will act on our behalf. God's grace, his power, his might, his sovereignty will triumph over both the enemy and our failure. So listen to the 
message that Isaiah now is going to give to Ahaz. You're going to recognize it. Back then it didn't make a lot of sense, but you're going to recognize the passage. We've got a lot of songs about it. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, you see the choice there, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have, have not yet or since come the day that Ephraim was departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So it's a remarkable prophecy of the virgin birth of our Savior. But again, what you need to understand in the, in the prophets in the Psalms and in the prophets. In the Psalms, every Psalm had its near fulfillment, but ultimately, every Psalm is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Every Psalm in the Psalter has its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Likewise, in the, in the prophecies, there is a near fulfillment, but ultimately, they're all fulfilled in Jesus as well. Does that make sense? So there is a near fulfillment because Isaiah was going to Ahaz. And he says, Ahaz, a baby's going to be born and he will be called Emmanuel. Again, name's main thing. God with us. Follow me. The term that's used here, there's, there's going to be a young lady. The word is Alma. It's not the Hebrew word for virgin as we know the term virgin. The word is Alma, just young lady, just like young man, young lady. Most commentators think that this was Isaiah's second wife because the first one died after the birth of uh, Sher Jacob. So now he's having another son with this young lady, and the son's name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Again, he's showing the nation the remnant's going to return. He's showing the nation, God is with us. When we get to the New Testament, that's the near fulfillment, the near fulfillment. The far fulfillment, the Greek text uses the word parthenos, which is explicitly virgin, someone who has never known a man. Couldn't be, couldn't, it couldn't be the case with uh, Isaiah in the day. It could be the case and was the case with Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. So situation, God created us to have a relationship with him, to be at peace with him. We sinned, we fell apart, we've gone our own way. You see that entire history, especially through the history of Israel. God then wants to provide an answer. He's going to do it through the Savior, God with us, born of a virgin, Parthenos, as we know it today. The pictures of that were given 700 years earlier through Isaiah, through his son, um, Sher Jacob, through his son, Emmanuel, and he's going to have another son, Maher Shalahashbaz, 
So three signs through three sons, okay? So now, Ahaz has a choice. What am I going to do with this information? You and I have a choice. We have the gospel. There's a gospel message that comes to us. What are we going to do with this gospel message? That's chapter 8. Chapter 8 of Isaiah basically says you can either receive it or you can reject it. Ahaz, what are you going to do? Receive it, reject it. And so Isaiah then gives three couplets of words to show the results of receiving or rejecting. If you reject it, there's going to be war. If you receive it, peace. If you reject it, there will be a snare. If you receive it, there'll be a sanctuary. If you reject it, there'll be darkness. If you receive it, there'll be light. That's Isaiah chapter 8. You can either experience the the um, gentle waters of Shiloh or you're going to experience the sword of Assyria. You can either experience the sanctuary and peace of God or you can fall into the snare and to the trap of your enemy. Those are the options for Ahaz. You know, it's so interesting when you look at Ahaz. And I think Ahaz does what a lot of our political leaders do today. I think any leader really has a choice when they ask questions. You can either take a poll. The poll is, one leader like Ahaz was, well, what do the people want? I'm going to stick my finger in the air and I'm going I'm to detect what the breeze of the people desire, and I'm going to go with that. Isaiah is saying, Ahaz, that's a bad choice. You don't ask people, what do you want? Or king of Syria, what do you want? Or king of the northern kingdom, what do you want? Isaiah is pleading for Ahaz. Ahaz, why don't you ask God? God, what is right what is your will? That's the question. It's not that you don't seek godly counsel. Any godly person will seek counsel. But ultimately, they're saying, Lord, was it, what is it that you want? Emmanuel, God with us. That is what Peter talked about in 1 Peter 2. That, that stone, that, the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. God is our very present help in trouble. And then the third thing is, if you don't choose, if you don't make this choice to turn to the Lord, the end result is going to be darkness. And that's exactly what he experienced. Bind up the testimony, seal the teachings among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, but I will hope in him. Ahaz rejected the light. He chose darkness. And so now the only ones who are left are Isaiah and his family and his small community. 
and you think, wow, that's a pretty gloomy story. It, it really is a gloomy story. I mean, for 700 years, it's been a pretty gloomy story. But you need to understand the heart of God. Because we could go back in time another 75 years to Jonah. Remember, Jonah had that arrogant sort of, hey, I'm, I'm okay, and if I'm okay, you know, to hell with everybody else. He could have had that attitude. It would have been easy for Isaiah, it'd be easy for us if we know we're okay, our family's okay, our little group is okay, everybody else is in trouble, but we're okay. Therefore, you know, let's all join hands and sing together. You know, that'd be really nice. But God doesn't leave Isaiah there. I think that's the beauty of this book as well. God, God is never like that because um, the Lord says, no, that's not your job. What I have called you to is to communicate comfort. You know, who will I send? Who will go for me? Here, here I am, Lord, send me. We saw that last week. And now Isaiah is called to do that. And we see it again come to full fruition in Isaiah 40, uh, chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort my people. Even though they're rejecting, you comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry for Jerusalem. You saw that with Jesus. Like a chick with her wings wanting to surround Israel. A loving mother, tender father. You see, there's never any good news, really, that isn't the gospel. The gospel is a message of comfort. The gospel is a message of lifting up. The gospel is a message that brings light to the darkness. Isaiah 9 says, There will be no gloom for her who, had, who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, that's, you know, way down the chart, in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And Isaiah looks, you know, down the corridor of time, and he says, even in the land of Naphtali, what he was referring to was the northern kingdom who had rebelled against them. Even in that wicked land where there were no good kings, out of that wicked, horrible land, God is so good. God is so gracious. God is so kind. God wants us to have comfort so bad that out of that wicked land, he's going to bring somebody to bring light into the darkness. That, that, that's why, you know, Philip says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, the land was so horrible. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus of what? Nazareth. God with us. God is salvation from, Isaiah talked about it 800 years earlier. That's going to be the one. He will be the one who will bring comfort. He will be the one who will bring peace. He will be the one who will take our sins that are red like crimson and make them white as wool. He will be the one who will give peace. Uh, peace and we sing about it, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He will be the one who will bring sanctuary. We read it in John chapter 1. The word will become flesh. He will be the one who will bring light. 
He is the light of the world. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And this was talked about by Isaiah all the way back, hundreds of years before in Isaiah chapter 9. And then ultimately what we're going to see, and next week Doug's going to take this passage and actually use this passage for the Christmas uh, service. But let me just read where Isaiah is going with it, and I won't talk about it, I'll just read it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So all of a sudden, Isaiah is talking about there will be one who will come who will burst on the scene in the midst of tyranny, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of despair. One will come who will bring peace and sanctuary and light and life and comfort. You know, Charles Wesley had an incredible gift. More than any other songwriter, he has this incredible ability to incorporate in a very brief form some of the deepest, most profound, most incredible truths of our faith and reduce them down to just a verse or two. We're going to sing it in just a few minutes, but let me just read the words. And now maybe, you've probably sung it a million times, but never caught the full impact of it. Late in time, behold him come. Remember the turmoil they were in. 700 years. Late in time, behold him come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. Not, not the Alma, but the Pantheos. Mary. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Jesus, Yahweh is salvation. Hail, the incarnate deity. Ultimately, finally, Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus captures and pulls into one picture all the beauty and the majesty and the glory of salvation as God becomes flesh. Folks, that's why we have communion, to share that, to remember that, to inspire us. Not to sit smugly by thinking, oh good, we've got the answer, I'm going to heaven, isn't that wonderful? But no, Comfort, comfort my people. Cry to Jerusalem. Cry out for salvation. Not only do we enjoy it, but we're also called to share that very message. Well, communion is an opportunity for all of us, for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, to reflect on these marvelous truths, that this is what, this is what Jesus not only has called us to experience, but also called us to do to experience the life, the forgiveness, forgiveness of sin, the life that we can have uh, in Christ with the Father uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, but then also uh, the wonderful good news to spread 
to bring comfort to the world around us. So I'm going to pray. Again, it's for believers in Jesus. If the ushers will come on up, I'm going to pray. You can be coming up, and then we'll pass out the elements. It's an opportunity for believers to share in this remembrance. But if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, man, I would just, I would urge you, especially at Christmas time, to put your faith and your trust in this Savior who has been promised for eons of time. Well, let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us, your wonderful love for us, and um, just... The, the power of your word. Lord, I, I think of Isaiah and just think back and just imagine what he must have felt like uh, with so much going around in the world and these strange messages, you know, having children with weird names. And, um, but, but Lord, it was in your perfect timing, you had a message for this, for this world. And uh, it all reached its climax through the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus, which Isaiah talks about, and that we can have life in Christ. It can be peace instead of war. It can be a sanctuary and experience the very presence of God instead of a snare. And we can have the light of Christ versus darkness. And if you are here and if you've never personally put your faith in Jesus Christ, I, I just ask you, especially now, Consider the claims, consider these prophecies, consider the picture that was given to us years and years and years ago and has found its ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you. If you would just cry out to him and say, Jesus, I just had no, no idea, no idea. There was so much behind all this and that you, God, really did become flesh and you really did go to a cross to die for me to bear my stripes, to bear my pain, to take the sword for me. Uh, Lord, I, I just want to receive that gift. I don't want to be like a Haas and reject it. Lord, I, I want to receive it. And I want to experience the life and the peace that you can offer. So, Lord, I receive you and I trust you. Thank you uh, for dying for my sin. And I just pray that you would save me, seal me with your Holy Spirit. And help me as I begin the journey of worshiping and obeying and trusting and serving you. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Amen.
So at the Last Supper, it's amazing that even the disciples at the time didn't have the full impact of what was going to happen. It wasn't until later, as the New Testament begins, as the Holy Spirit is poured upon uh, the believers in the upper room, that they begin to get a full picture. Uh, We have that picture, and that's we can understand when Jesus said, look, you're going to have to remember this. You're going to have to remind yourself of this on an ongoing basis. And that's why he said he took the bread. He had gave thanks and he broke it he gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me let's take the bread together and then the cup he wanted to remind them that his blood would be be shed the ultimate fulfillment of back all the way back in Isaiah 53 and he said and the good news of this is that you get to take the message of comfort not only do you get to experience the message of comfort and peace and light and life, you get to take this message to the world around you. So as we take the cup together, let's remember that commitment that we need to make. Thank you, Lord, for this time of remembrance. And Lord, may our lives be ever changed because of this wonderful news. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.